This week's episode of the Top Five Report, the podcast that will be first to the key and then first to the egg. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother Peter. Here. Hey, man. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Welcome back from a week off. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, it was a nice break, but I'm glad to be back. How was the break for you? Uh, it was super busy. Um, it's just kind of one of these situations where uh, my wife got a new job and uh, I spent a lot of time watching the kid and uh, not as much time as I wanted to spend watching and reading things. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Um, how about you? Uh, well, good. That means I'm coming in with the watching and reading category for a change. And I was really <laughs> and I honestly was like, we could literally be spending a whole show talking about stuff we watch and read and then not talk about news. And there's some big news. Tonight, so that's hilarious. Um, yeah, some shocking, crazy news, but we'll get to that soon. Um, well, yes, we're back. Um, so if you've missed us, I hope you did enjoy that like uh, little bonus uh, 20 questions episode that we had. We thought that'd be kind of fun for taking a week off. And um, ironically, that episode dropped on uh, Memorial Day. So um, everyone enjoyed that for the Memorial Day weekend, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, that being said, let's get back into the thing. Let's go back into our normal swing of things. Peter, what are you watching? What are you reading? What didn't you watch that you wanted to? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's plenty of stuff I didn't watch. Like, uh, I still haven't finished Invincible, and I've been really wanting to catch up on that. And then I know there's, like, Jupiter's Ascending just dropped on Netflix, and I really yeah. want to watch that as well. And, uh, yeah, it's just stuff I got to catch up on that's just still sitting there. But uh, I did watch a couple things. Uh, one kind of interesting, maybe more obscure pick that I watched this past week was, uh, or this past two weeks, I should say, is uh, this Polish horror film on Netflix called Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight. And um, well, first of all, let me tell you, it's I don't summertime. Think that's good. I don't think that's good advice ever, but... <laughs> Very, yeah, very well said. Um, I was going to say I was going to say first and foremost, it's summertime. And uh, my favorite horror series to watch, especially at the beginning of, of the summer, is uh, Friday the 13th, because it's just it's about, you know, Jason. He's this massacring monster who is killing people at this uh, summer camp. And it just if you marathon the Friday the 13th movies, it's just a really fun way to get in that summer vibe, at least for me. <laughs> Maybe that sounds kind of ridiculous, but I have fun with it. So I've been in this big uh, Friday the 13th move, uh, mood right now. And uh, on Netflix, I think I, I was just looking at their horror movies and there was this movie called uh, Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight. And from the description, it sounded a lot like Friday the 13th. It actually kind of sounded like a Friday the 13th mock-up where it's like, you know, it mentions there's a bunch of kids at camp and they start getting 
picked off by some, you know, killer or monster or something like that. And I was like, okay, this sounds like a Friday the 13th knockoff, but I'll check it out. And, uh, it kind of is that like, it kind of is super Friday the 13th influenced, but it takes some really crazy turns. Um, this movie has like, it's kind of cool because it's this summer camp. That's kind of like a rehabilitation camp that parents send their kids to when they're addicted to technology. So the idea is turn in your phone, turn in your, uh, tablets and, uh, we're going to spend the night in, in the woods and we're going to survive and we're going to go on long hikes and uh, sleep in the wilderness and get back to our roots, get off the grid, you know, get rid of your technology addiction, which is kind of a, just a cool idea for a camp. But, uh, you know, n- n- nonetheless, nobody realizes that nearby there's <laughs> these sort of uh, mutant serial killer characters who are getting ready to take them out. Um So this movie, like I said, it has Friday the 13th vibes, but it has a bunch of teenagers going to the camps and they break off into different groups that go. They're kind of like their survival groups that they go hunt or they go hike out into the woods together as and they, uh, you know, they spend the time together. And those groups kind of gave me because it it's you take a big group of teenagers and then you, you know, divide them into a smaller group. And uh, some of those like group dynamics and the bickering between the characters and stuff actually gave me breakfast club vibes. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is like Friday the 13th meets breakfast club. I'm really enjoying this, but the movie takes a couple other crazy turns and there's kind of a lot of other sort of subtle homages to other like really big name horror movies that are, that's really cool. And there's even a, um, there's even something that happens in the movie that's very similar to an element of the Spider-Man mythos, (laughs) which sounds ridiculous as well. But when it happened, it was very, very cool. And I don't want to give too much away about this movie because uh, I don't want to spoil anything. But when it started to get kind of comic booky, I'm like, this movie's great. It, this movie's like a really good time. Um, if you're into that, if you're in that sort of Friday the Friday the Thirteenth mood, um, I definitely would say check it out. Um, where would, but where, it would, all, where would oh, you compare this? Where would you compare this to, like uh, Cabin in the Woods? Um, it's Cabin in the Woods is a lot more meta. Um, like tonally, oh. I think it is pretty similar. Where it's both gruesome, scary, and violent while also being comedic and stuff like that. But cabin in the woods is very more meta and it's a much more blatant cap. It has much more blatant commentary on horror movies in general. This movie still does have that sort of commentary and like homage to different elements of the horror genre, but it's a lot more subtle, I would say, if that makes sense. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. But but definitely, yeah, Cabin in the Woods like that would be comparable to this. Um, I've already said Friday the 13th a million times, but for for sure that. But if you're looking for a random, pretty fun horror movie to watch, I really enjoyed that one. Um, 
Besides that, my other watching and readings are probably things that you watched and read yourself. Um, there was a really big zombie movie that released that I watched and really enjoyed and a couple trailers um, that came out. And that's about it for me. Um, so I don't know if you want to move into yours or uh, what we should tackle first with this one. All right, cool. We'll uh, we'll save uh, Army of the Dead for a moment. Uh, <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, we'll save Army of the Dead for the moment. Uh um, let me see here. Um, so I, I started, I'm not done. I think I'm getting close to done, but I started the, uh, final season of Castlevania. Um, and it's awesome. Um, it's everything I wanted it to be. It's definitely like one of my complaints about season three was that it was a little slower moving than the other, the first two seasons. Cause I thought season two was just astounding and season three was just a little slower. And I was like, okay, I see what you're doing, but get up, get, 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 let's get going a little faster. This is <laughs> yeah. like, this just feels like they heard me talking, <laughs> um, because it's just right out of the gate. It's just exactly what I wanted. And it has not slowed down. Um, so it's and it's just ramping up to something really cool. I think anyway, it's so far I'm really enjoying it. Um, so Castlevania is great. Um, I watched literally so so people understand our recording schedule. It currently is May 27th. So when we say this episode is dropping um, after Memorial Day, it's because we're coming to you from the past. <laughs> if you will. The, we're coming to you from the past and the future. That's a really weird sentence. Um, at any rate, uh, so but at the at the time of this recording, it is May 27th. So literally right before I record, we sat down to record. I just watched the Friends reunion on HBO Max. Um, oh, nice. So it's out. OK, it's so this out. is one of the this is one of the trailers that I watched. Oh, so tell okay. me about the actual reunion. OK, well, how about this? The trailer was cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the actual reunion, and I'm going to say this is. This is a show that I think a lot of people expected. I think when you say a friend's reunion, people are looking for a reboot season or a like two hour episode to find out where all your friends have been, if you will. Um, But when you look at the iconography of this show and the pedestal that this that the world has put this show on. um, And when I say that, I mean, whether you'd like or dislike friends is irrelevant. This show has Like, I don't think after watching this reunion, you could ever do a show like this ever, ever again. You'll never have a network or a sitcom or a television show ever have the staying power the way Friends does. And when I say that, I mean, Friends is on every channel all day long. If it's when it's not on TBS, it's on WGN. When it's not on WGN, it's on Nick at Night. When it's not, you know what I mean? Like, if you can literally just search Friends and it's there for you. Um And you really get the and you really understand that when you watch this reunion, because they kind of shot it like a documentary and it's the cast coming back and the cast is like reminiscing and they're on the old sets and they're like talking about stuff and they recreate some iconic moments and they do a little like script reads from certain episodes and they talk and they they make you laugh. They make you cry. They bring on guest guest stars. Uh, James Corden like kind of moderates the whole thing. It's like a big Comic-Con panel, if you will. Um, But. When you watch it, I don't think you could do a reunion like this any other way. And I really feel that if you would have done a scripted episode, people would have bitched and complained and whined and moaned about how it didn't live up to hype. It didn't live up to expectations. And you can watch this and there's not one bad thing you can say about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that you raise a lot of really good points, actually. Um, For some reason, I guess I haven't been like following the Friends reunion really closely because I didn't know if it was a scripted episode or, you know, the trailer was very behind the scenes looking as you were describing. But I just wasn't sure. Um, But I think you bring up some really good points because if it was an episode, people were going to complain no matter what. So I think it does make sense that uh, what you're saying does sound like it's it's the right way to go. And I think of uh, like right now I'm thinking of the toys that made us on Netflix and some of those episodes and how there's like the Ninja Turtles episode that has a really heartfelt moment at the end where they talk about the reunion of uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And it was just like a really touching thing that came about in this documentary format. And I almost imagine like, I haven't watched the friends reunion yet, but I almost imagine it's kind of a similar scenario to that, where you're going to have a sneak peek and you're going to hear some funny stories and learn some behind the scenes thing. But you're also going to see these people that you've just watched for hours and hours of your life, uh, reuniting. And, uh, there might be a little bit of, uh, that sort of heartfelt, uh, coolness there as well. Yeah. And that's, and that's what it like, like I said, it's not a scripted episode, which is what I think we all were expecting. But when you watch it, you're going to go, this is exactly what we needed. Not just for that show, but right now, if that makes sense. Um, and you'll, I think you'll understand when you get done watching. (laughs) So it's just this moment, like you just feel good watching it the whole way through. It's, it's really, really well put together and it's really smart. And I think the cast had a huge hand in, um, how they were going to handle a reunion like this. Um, but Jennifer Aniston, uh, James Gordon, uh, asks about, would you guys be up for doing like a bonus episode or a bone or like a movie or like a mini extra season or something like that? And Jennifer Aniston makes this really great statement about that and um, talking about something she heard the creators talking about when they were ending the show originally. And I'm going to just stop right there and just say, pay attention to that line of dialogue and you'll understand the answer to the, if, if we're ever going to get that or not. (laughs) So, and it's too profound of an answer to uh, spoil. So uh, everyone go watch the friends uh, reunion because it was really cool. So uh, how how many fan theories were confirmed in the Friends reunion? Well, they did they did ask him about some cool behind the scenes stuff. Like they asked him about if there were any off screen romances and stuff like that, and they talked about that. And uh, they you know they all answered. They all James Gordon asked the uh, everybody give me a yes or no answer. It were, were Ross and Rachel on a break, and everyone asked and gave honest answers. And I was it was kind of cool to hear them like actually give a legit response to that. But um, yeah, so. <laughs> that's nice that's hilarious uh, yeah. uh, sounds cool i'll uh i'll have to check that out probably uh when we stop recording tonight actually yeah. <laughs> it is about it is about two hours so keep that in mind um it's lengthy um all right let's see what else uh did you watch the eternals trailer yes i did okay um it's a marvel movie i guess uh, <laughs> um so yeah everybody there's a there's a trailer for uh marvel's eternals that is online now um i don't really have much to say about it because i don't know much about the eternals um i don't know much about like it's a comic series i was like it's not it's a part of marvel comics that i never dove into they were kind of they were like they're obscure enough to me like guardians of the galaxy was and i was like wow like we're doing eternals okay i don't know much about this I've looked up the characters. I've looked up what the Eternals are. So I understand. But I'm also like watching the trailer going, 
okay, here we go. This is going to get weird and obscure. Um, I, uh, I was talking to our friend of the show, Bran, about this a little bit, about how when it comes to Marvel, like with the comic books, you pick and choose. You read your Batman, you read your Spider-Man, you throw in a little uh, Suicide Squad, you read your Sp- you read your Supermans, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go read Justice League. You know what, I think I'll read the Avengers this week. And you bounce around a little bit. Sometimes you go obscure, sometimes you don't. When it comes to the visual media of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you always have to look at the big picture and you basically have to watch everything. And they've taught us that you have to do that. Um, So absolutely, my butt is going to be in a seat for it, but I'm not excited because I don't have I literally have no expectations. I literally don't know what I'm walking into. And I was watching the trailer going, "Um, "Okay, I guess this is a Marvel movie. (laughs) So um, I don't know what your thoughts on the trailer are, but. Well, I I think I mean, it looks cool, but I don't really know or understand what I'm looking at. So, right. So I think no expectations really sums it up. Um, That was actually my experience with this trailer, because I went into this trailer and I had no idea what I was going to see. I didn't know what this was going to be. And uh, I watched the trailer um, and I I think it looks really interesting. It's like this. uh, There's this alien like or humanoid alien race, humanoid at least. I don't know if they're actually related to the humans of Earth or or not. I'm not really too familiar with the Eternals either, but this uh, race of beings that has been watching over the Earth for years and years and years and uh, has been lightly interacting with us throughout our history. And it just, the premise sounded really cool. Like I was like, okay, this has kind of like elements of Prometheus in it and elements of the fountain. And like, it just looks like an interesting movie. Like forget it being a Marvel movie. It just kind of looked like a interesting conceptual sci-fi film. So I actually was like really happy with it. Uh, the backlash I've seen online, though, apparently a lot of other people aren't really that happy with it because, A, they don't know the characters, B, they don't know what's going on or, you know, how this relates to the MCU. A lot of people are mad that the Eternals have waited until now to interfere. But, you know, the MCU <laughs> has been fighting Thanos and Chitaris and all crazy stuff this yeah. whole time. Um, I had to tell one of my friends, I was like, well, they didn't really specify when now was because now it could be a thousand years before uh you know captain america the first avenger we don't really know um but from what i saw i thought it was i was very intrigued by this trailer i thought it looked very interesting very mysterious um i'm actually kind of excited about this one which i think is funny because Besides my own opinion, I haven't really seen a lot of positive praise for this trailer at all, which I just thought was funny. But I mean, it is what it is. The 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 memes that you're talking about, because the, they have that line in the trailer where like we waited until now we have to feel we we feel we need to interfere or whatever that line is, is like or we've never interfered. We've watched from a distance and now we feel it's time to return. And I'm like. And the memes are funny when they're like, you couldn't show up for Thanos. You couldn't show up for the. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that that just made me laugh. The other problem, the other thing that struck me really odd about the trailer, and this is the thing where me not knowing the characters or understanding is that line at the end. They're like, well, you know, Steve Rogers and Iron Man are gone. So who could who could lead the Avengers? And the guy that I don't really know who he is is like, I could do it. And they all laugh. And I'm like, that joke falls flat because I don't know. You know, like and that's and I think that's the weird downfall of this new era of Marvel we're going into is that they have to teach us all over again. 
But the problem is, is every one of us already on like we learned enough. It's time to go into the next part of the story and we got to do world. It's like it's like they built the world, but they have to rebuild the world, if you will, um, where they're at at this point with some of these out the, like, you know, Black Widow. You don't have to. The name sells the movie. But some of these offshoot movies like uh, Eternals, unfortunately, Shang Chi is going to end up like that. They have to, like, rebuild. Uh-huh. The world, so. Yeah. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from there. That joke actually fell flat for me as well. Um, But I'm the humor in the Marvel movies has honestly for a while been pretty hit or miss with me. Like sometimes I enjoy the humor in the Marvel movies and sometimes I'm just like, you know, you don't have to throw a joke in every single scene. Like we can be serious sometimes, you know what I mean? And I think when it came to that part of the trailer and I wasn't going to mention this, but since you brought it up, like I really didn't like that joke, but for me, it wasn't necessarily completely that I didn't know who this guy is. For me, it was like, well, you had a very serious, very interesting, um, you know, somewhat subtle, mysterious sort of uh, trailer you just played. And then you had to tack a joke on at the end. And I think that was them saying, like, hey, guys, this is still a Marvel movie. Like, there's still going to be jokes. <laughs> but for me, like before that scene, I was really intrigued. I was like, this is perfect. This looks really cool. I'm kind of excited for it. And the joke at the end to me kind of. uh like any tension that was built in the trailer was just killed with that joke. And I kind of just wish it wasn't in there, but I understand why they did it, but I also understand why it's falling flat for pretty much everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. The Eternals is an, is an anomaly at this point. We don't know really if this is going to be good or if this is going to be a flap, but uh, I'm, I think it looks good so far. I know that there's overall. I know there's Eternals fans out there and I'm not trying to downplay the Eternals at all. I'm just saying that, like, I don't know enough. And it's kind of like this, like Guardians of the Galaxy. I didn't know enough going into that movie. And I walked out of that movie going, this is absolutely amazing and one of the best movies I've ever seen, you know. So we could be walking out of Eternals with the same mindset. I just I'm I have such low expectations, but it's Marvel. So I have high expectations at the same time. So there's that. There's that way of looking at it, I guess. Um, but let's talk about something we both watched that sounds amazing. And that's um, Army of the Dead. Yeah. Hell yeah. What did you uh, think of Army? Of the, what do you think of Army of the, Army of the Dead? Uh, this movie was uh, I thought overall it was awesome. I thought as far as a zombie movie it was great there was a lot of cool lore and concepts in there when it comes to the zombies and the movie and what they can actually do and uh how there is even like a zombie pregnancy involved in the storyline and there's just a lot of cool concepts in there well, i th- well what we're gonna say <laughs> go ahead because well the zombie pregnancy was like kind of a shocking moment but at the same time we don't know if she was pregnant before she got turned and then is the eternal like zombie fetus that's sitting inside her or she's actually a zombie pregnant woman. And that's a real zombie fetus because of does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. We don't know enough. I, uh, I do think it was like almost strongly implied that it was yeah a post uh, infection pregnancy or however you want to phrase it. But at the same time, you might be right. She might have been pregnant before, uh, you know, this zombie epidemic broke out and the. um you know, <laughs> it, it, it might it might just be like the uh, I don't know how to phrase it because I can't remember his name, but the sort of uh, patient zero zombie king. <laughs> That's just off my yeah. off the top of my head what I'm going to call him right now. That's he might just believe he might just believe that this uh, 
baby that uh, is inside of this uh, female zombie. He might just believe that it's his, but it's not actually his sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really think of the really specific logistics of that situation. I just thought that was an interesting concept um, as well as just a lot of other aspects of just like the zombie action and how fast they were and uh, a lot of stuff like that in the movie. Um, I thought the, the intro to this movie, the opening scene was hilarious. I thought as far as just like as ridiculous as the, you know, zombie movie genre can be this this opening was just perfect. Um, and just, I mean, it's, it's hard to know where to begin overall. I just was extremely satisfied with the movie. There's a couple tiny nitpicks I could say, but I really loved it, uh, throughout the whole thing. Uh, what did you think about this one? Um, overall, I really enjoyed the movie, like just top to bottom. It's look, it's a zombie film. It's really fun from the beginning to the end. Um, it's just excitement, but I saw some weird reviews of people. People are like, you know, it starts out as this really cool movie and then it's basically just zombies, you know, and unforgettable characters dying. And you're like, you walked into a zombie film. I don't know what you were expecting. Um, I mean, it's it's two hours. It's not like Walking Dead where they have time to do the really long, drawn out, um, long form zombie story that we've been used to lately. It's a zombie movie. It's done in two and a half hours. Um, so you're going to have forgettable character deaths, but it's just going to be fun as you go through. There's some really great concepts. There are some really cool things. I have one, there's one thing that disappointed me because I got really excited about it and then it didn't happen. And I was like, Oh, okay. But I, all right, I get it. And that was the, um, they talked about, they had, they first got into the city and there were all the dead bodies laying there and you're just like, good Lord. And then the one girl says, careful um they're just they're basically dehydrated zombies so they're just laying there dormant she goes when they when it rains they usually wake up for a couple hours and i was like oh my god it's gonna rain and they're all gonna stand up you know like (laughs) i was really like waiting for that scene and it just didn't happen so other than that um but otherwise there was some really great like uh stuff that they set up so yeah um you uh that is that is a really good point like uh I didn't realize that, but uh, that is a bit of foreshadowing that they really didn't take advantage of. Like, you're right. It should have rained. (laughs) And then all those dead, you know, dehydrated zombies could wake up. That could make for a really suspenseful surprise in the movie, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, I liked it. I think the characters in the movie, I didn't necessarily think they were that forgettable. Actually, I thought it was a really fun group of ragtag characters. and then uh, the one the one nitpick that I have, and I don't know how you feel about this, but what do you think about the sort of blurriness and how in almost every shot of the movie, there's kind of one there's like one like focal point that's in focus. And then the rest of the shot is blurry. And uh, I wasn't sure how you felt about that, um, uh, you know, cinematography choice um, or however uh, you want to phrase it. Lots of movies do that. And a lot of times it's shifting focus. So there was a several points in that where I noticed it, but it was also like one character would be talking while the other one's out of focus because they were so close to the foreground that when the line shifted, the focus and the camera changed. Um, and it, in a really weird way, in a couple of those shots, it gave these characters their spotlights for these lines of dialogue. Um, so it didn't bother me at all just because I saw I just saw what they were doing in terms of um in terms of like the visual aspect of it. So, 
Yeah, and I um I did see an article online that Zack Snyder bought a uh, he bought like a specific kind of camera lens, like second hand, just so he could emphasize the uh, how each shot was focused even more. So as I think it was actually a little bit more so. Um, you know, there, it was sort of like there's that clear focal point and then the peripherals were very blurry. And I think it was a little bit more accentuated in this movie, um, even though, as you said, this does happen in a lot of other films. Um, to me, I took it as Zack Snyder was trying to make you feel like you were actually there, because if you think of real life, typically when you look at something, you really just focus on like one spot and uh your peripherals aren't necessarily in complete focus. And I kind of felt like Zack Snyder was trying to make you feel like you were actually there in each scene and being, you know, part of this um, intimate ragtag group that's going on this crazy heist mission. But uh, no, I just kind of wanted to know your thoughts on it. I don't know if I was in love with that choice, but at the same time, I really enjoyed this movie overall. So I'm not going to let it ruin my experience. Um, and yeah, I just I just remember when Man of Steel came out, um, Zack Snyder talked about how a lot of people complained that he used a handheld cam for uh, most of the scenes in that movie. Like people got really impatient with the shaky cam aspects and stuff. But Zack Snyder said he shot Man of Steel that way to make you feel like you were actually there. And that's kind of why I interpreted uh I interpreted the sort of focus um, blurriness in uh, Army of the Darkness with that kind of a choice in mind. Army, I guess, of, the so. Army of the Dead, man. Don't confuse Oh, man. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It's just so. Uh, yeah, it's such a similar title. That's yeah. hilarious. But <laughs> Look, overall, I really enjoyed the movie. It was a lot of fun. Everyone should go watch it because it was great. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, walk into it knowing you're watching a zombie movie. I also um, lastly, I loved that the trailer, most of the scenes from the trailer were from like the opening or, you know, from the sort of uh, intro or I guess opening credits oh, like that's the where they most. Was, that's what. Yeah, that's the, the opening credits were the trailer. So you're like, wow, they didn't show me anything that we're going to see. <laughs> yeah, which was also an awesome choice. Um, I don't know if we're moving on one more um, observation I had, and this is very. This is a huge spoiler. So if you're listening and you hadn't seen it, like seriously, skip ahead like a minute because this is a huge spoiler. But uh, Drew, you know, the one survivor out of the group uh, was the only person who went into Vegas with unselfish intentions like everybody else was in it for the money. And she was the one person who was, well, I guess Batista's character Yes and no, but she was like the one who was like, no, I'm going in to help out a friend. And I thought that was like a really cool uh, oh. touch there, you know, or a really cool aspect of the film. And that's and that's the horror movie trope, if you will, when you watch stuff like Cabin in the Woods or like Scream and they talk about the horror movie tropes and they talk about, you know, like um, how to survive the horror movie and stuff like that. So um, you don't have sex. You don't say, I'll be right back. You don't have, like, you know what I mean? Like, those things. yeah, but I, I guess I thought this was a lot more subtle and it wasn't as on the nose as, uh, you know, other horror movies, you know, it was kind of just in the background. And then at the end of the movie, thinking about it, you're like, oh yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. That's pretty cool. So, <laughs> right. Right. Um, 
Well, yeah, dude, let's move on because we have a lot of news to watch and we could be talking about Army of the Dead and uh, Eternals all night if we don't stop ourselves. <laughs> um, so how about this? You actually are bringing a news story to the table. So, <laughs> Oh, right. So, um, yeah, this is a little bit of a uh, downer story, um, but I really think we need to address it. And uh, that's the uh, the manga creator. Uh, Kentaro Miura has uh, passed away, unfortunately. Um, he was, I believe, 54 years old, and he's most well known for uh being the artist and creator of the manga Berserk. Um, I really wanted to bring this up on our show, though, because I've mentioned Berserk a couple times, um, and especially when we did our uh, our top five favorite comic artists. Uh, this is an artist who made my list, and uh, oh man, I'm getting kind of nervous talking about this in a little bit. Uh, I feel like I'm getting a bit choked up, but this is uh, this guy is just like, in my opinion, he's one of the best comic artists I've ever seen. And it's one of those things where if you go into Google and type in Berserk manga, you're going to see a lot of pen and ink drawings that are super detailed and they're super beautiful. And uh, Berserk is this very brutal uh, story that takes place in a fantasy landscape. And it is very adult and it's very violent, but it is very beautiful in a lot of different ways. Um, I know it might seem ridiculous to say, but this is a story that it has a lot of gore. It has a lot of action, but it also has a lot of um, not only heart and really interesting characters, but it also has like it has crazy political plots in it. Like there's moments of berserk that remind me of uh, Game of Thrones almost as far as like some of the sort of intricate political um, aspects of the story and stuff. And uh it's just this is a really good series. This is a series that the author has been working on since the late 80s, and it's just been going for a long time. And unfortunately, he passed away. And um, like I said, this character, this creator is, in my opinion, one of the best kind of creators I've ever experienced. Um, I'm a little bit behind on Berserk. I haven't been keeping it up with it for the last couple of years and if anything, like this news is making me really want to catch up. But this is um, I, I don't want to go on and on too long about this. And, Drew, I don't know if you have too much to say, but uh, well, what I want. Wanted... <laughs> well, I'm going to let you I'll let you go in a second. But what I wanted to bring up was that, you know, um, the it's a series about a, the um, series follows the exploits of a uh, it's the guts of a oh, oh, sorry. He's a um, black swordsman, a one-armed, one-eyed former mercenary who inhabits the world of grotesque monsters, um, yeah. roving militia groups and medieval weaponry. Um, this series has given um, influence to Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z. Um, it's also given influence to TV shows like Castlevania, for example, and video games like Dark Souls. You also have to remember that uh, as an artist, he did covers for Marvel Comics and cards for Magic the Gathering. Um, so his artwork uh, goes far and wide in terms of that. So I just wanted to point that I just like kind of looked some stuff up since you sent me the story. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I actually didn't know about the Magic cards or the Marvel Comics. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought up the sort of kind of his influence, because 
his influence is very like if you play the Dark Souls games <laughs> and then you go to read Berserk, you're going to be really surprised with how much influence those games took from these comics. Um, but also like, you know, as far as anime characters with, you know, a huge anime and video game trope is the character with the giant sword. And um, I'm not for sure if Berserk did it first, but I know they were at least, you know, this comic was one of the first comics to do that sort of imagery. And if you read the manga, like, there's specific reasons why Guts, the uh, main character, uses a giant sword that's just as tall as he is. And it's explained really concisely. And um, the one thing I was going to say, because, um, like, again, again, like, I do feel like I could talk about this, this comic series so long because I just love it so much. And, uh, you know, I, I do feel like I'm, I haven't really talked to anybody about this, so I do feel like I'm getting a little bit choked up, which is kind of surprising me, but kind of cool as well. But I remember um, graduating college. Uh, I went to art school and, uh, you know, really shortly after graduating, I started working on a uh, <laughs> I started working on like an independent comic that I was going to self-publish. And I actually never ended up self-publishing it. But while I was working on that, I actually had a friend who was working on a comic as well. And we used to go to each other's apartments and we would just hang out and draw comics and talk about comics and sci-fi and all this cool stuff we loved. And uh, that friend introduced me and me to Berserk. And I'm somebody who grew up like I've watched my share of like the Adult Swim anime series, you know, Trigun, Cowboy Bebop. I watched some some Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that. But uh, I never really was like a huge anime or manga fan, um, especially manga. I had never read any manga and my friend lent me the first volume of berserk and i started reading it but i couldn't get really into it because i just wasn't used to the sort of backwards reading and stuff yet and he's like all right well i'll give you the you know my dvd copy of the 1997 anime series of berserk and i watched that anime and uh i fell in love with the story and <laughs> once i once I watched that, I had to get my hands on some volumes of the manga because I had to know where the story goes. And, uh, no, it's just it's just a awesome, awesome story. And it's one of those things where I've got since then, I've gotten into like a lot of other mangas and animes. But I think it's kind of crazy, but it's like, you know, when you get introduced to something and it ends up being your favorite thing in that genre, like no animes or mangas I've ever read or watched have really compared to berserk like there's ones that i've really liked but i think those two are still it's still my favorite anime and manga because nothing has quite scratched the same itches for me nothing seems as sophisticated while being as um sort of brutal and fun and you know it's 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 a both like gruesome tragic story but it's also really fun and hilarious in parts and it's just I, I i love the series it's kind of right up my alley because it is a very brutal fantasy horror sort of landscape but at the same time it's just i haven't found a lot of anime that compares to it so if any is interested definitely check out berserk uh the manga or the 1997 anime series is definitely a good place to jump on so yeah i guess i could leave it at that unless you had any further comments drew or anything like that so i do not 
Sorry, I don't have anything else to add to that. Just because yeah. you, you, I mean, this was kind of like your, you were bringing this one in, and I'm like, I kind of looked some stuff up, but I was like, wow, I'm just going to let Peter talk. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, and I guess, I guess, I, I also should just say, you know, rest in peace, Kentaro Mira. Um, you know, you're a legend, and your influence will live on. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's talk about a couple animated things and I'll give you the big news for the night. So real quick, um, I am a He-Man kid or I was growing up and uh, Kevin Smith has been hard at work on his He-Man and Netflix series. Um, I don't know if you saw, but there's been some images released online from the show. The artwork looks absolutely fantastic. I actually the art we're seeing the artwork and everything made me really excited to, uh, to see the yeah, show. Same. Same. Um, I saw some of those screenshots and I thought they looked badass, to be honest. They're great. Um, it's a five episode part one. It's uh, the series is a two part story with the five episodes uh, part one debuting on July 23rd. My birthday. <laughs> so being the He-Man kid that I was when I grow up, uh, happy birthday to me, if you will. Um, <laughs> I thought that was cool. Um, That's awesome. Let me see. Uh um spanning series take uh, it takes it, um it takes place directly from where the beloved 80 series left off so the he-man series that ex- that is um where the the show ended in the 80s where they ended that show it's going to pick up literally right there so um i don't remember how it ended i'm not even going to go look it up i'm just going to hop in and enjoy um so yeah i just wanted to bring that up next thing uh animation wise um the Batman animated series that we rumored was apparently coming back. Uh, it looks like it sure is. Um, there are two animated series going straight to HBO Max and Cartoon Network. Uh, so if you don't have HBO Max, you will be able to view them on Cartoon Network. Um, it'll be Batman the Caped Crusader is what it'll be titled. Um, the artwork for the poster that they did release makes me interested if that's the actual like final artwork or if that's just a, Hey, we're working on this because the artwork looks very much like the original Batman suit from detective comics, 27, his initial first. Oh, cool. Um, but it will have, um, so it's Batman. The animated series was a masterpiece that shaped perception of, uh, the character for an entire generations said, uh, Sam uh, Register, president at Warner Brothers Animation. Um, It's a spirit that we're bringing together um, with three master storytellers, J.J. Abrams, Matt Reeves, who's doing the new Batman movie with um, uh, Robert Pattinson, and Bruce Timm who was in charge of the original Batman animated series. Each with their own uh, intuitive understanding and affection for the character who created the new series will continue the same groundbreaking legacy. We are beyond excited to be working together to bring this uh, character back to tell engrossing new stories in Gotham City, said Bruce Timm. Abrams and Reeds, presumably simultaneously, now that they are formed and have a hive mind of some sort. The series will be a thrilling cinematic and evocative of Batman's noir roots while diving deeper into psychology of these iconic characters. We cannot wait to share this new world. So that's directly from Bruce Tim. Um, it's nice to hear him talk about it because he's involved. Um, the other thing that adds to that is Superman's getting a cartoon show as well, being added to HBO max and cartoon network. And it's going to be called my adventures with Superman. Um, I'm really fuzzy about what this show is because it looks like it's a younger Clark Kent um, 
it looks like it's geared a little bit more towards kids and it's a younger Clark Kent still learning his powers um, and being friends with like Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane prior to where we know them as adults. So, <laughs> yeah, I um, I haven't seen the Caped Crusader screenshots, but I did see the uh, Superman animated series screenshots or the you know, the new Superman one. And uh, I saw a lot of people nitpicking aspects of it. But to me, I actually think it looks pretty cool. I think it looks like a cool style. And I'm kind of just excited to see where this one goes yeah. um, as far as both shows. I mean, does it even need to be said? DC animated series are always good. <laughs> so I they are always nothing good. less, you know, from these two new ones. So they are always good. And I don't know. And they don't talk about the level of adult, if it's going to be like how it's going to be geared, because, yes, it's going to be on Cartoon Network. But you got to remember Cartoon Network has Adult Swim. So there's a chance that it could go the Adult Swim route. We really don't know um, if they're going to follow suit with Batman animated series. It could be an all ages show. Um, but. That Harley Quinn show is very adult and it's awesome. Uh, if you haven't watched it, you should check it out. But in terms of like the adult, you know what? I, that's I'm just bringing that up because that show is very adult where this could be the other direction. I really don't know. Um, but Bruce Timm's involved. He was a part of the original. Um, can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Since, since we're talking about Warner Brothers, here's the big news. AT&T, parent company of Warner Brothers and DC Comics, has decided they're going to get out of the entertainment game altogether. AT&T has decided to sell Warner Media, which includes HBO and Warner Brothers, to Discovery, um, which they say will create a premier standalone global entertainment company. Um, the company's announced this morning that Warner Media's entertainment assets would combine with Discovery to create a premier standalone global, global entertainment company, according to a presser. Uh, <laughs> uh, get that, get that out, Andy. Uh, stop, stop um, mumbling over words. The new deal means AT and T will receive about forty three billion. AT and T shareholders will also receive stock representing seventy one percent of the new company, and the press release adds. The new deal will work to bring compelling content to DTC subscribers across portfolio, including HBO Max and the recently launched Discovery Plus. So in terms of which the deal will combine is Warner Media's storied content library of popular and valuable IP, along with Discovery's global footprint. So what that means for you, HBO Max subscribers, is you will now get a chance to bundle HBO Max with Discovery Plus. Uh, so it's going to be kind of like um, imagine uh, so, you know, how Disney Plus can be bundled with ESPN and Hulu and stuff. It's going to be kind of like that. Um, however, this sale is not final. And this is where it gets interesting. Um, and this is where it gets weird. Rumor. This is a rumor right now, but it's starting to look legit. Rumor, DC Comics, the DC brand, and Warner Brothers could actually become part of a of Disney and Marvel, or at least come under the same under the same umbrella at Disney. Disney buying DC Comics 2021. Last week, uh, uh, rumors surfaced that Warner Brothers, DC, and DC brand are officially being sold. CNBC first reported that the merger of Warner Media and Discovery is the Trojan horse to have the deal completed. The new company, Warner Discovery, has given flexibility for a sell of both entities to Walt to the Walt Disney Company. The move would have both DC Comics and the DC brand under Disney and Marvel. 
Apple, Amazon, and Netflix are also inquiring about the sale, but the Disney move looks to be more legit. Um, yeah. So it looks like AT&T is selling uh, all of Warner Brothers and getting out of the entertainment game. What's interesting about this is having DC Comics, Warner Brothers, and all that stuff under – and that. And when I say this, that also includes HBO, that includes Game of Thrones, that includes um, – so everything on HBO Max <laughs> – would fall under Disney. Everything under uh, DC Comics would fall under Disney. The entire DC expanded universe, the films, the comics, animation, all of it would fall under Disney if this is a sale that goes through. I feel like it was yesterday that we were talking about the Lucasfilm merger and the Marvel merger and like the Disney buying Fox. I feel like we've been talking about this stuff forever, but this is huge. Now, AT&T is getting out of the entertainment game. That's fine. What does that mean for the Snyderverse? I have no idea. Hopefully somewhere over there, Disney style, the Snyder cut and said, we got to keep this alive. But <laughs> um, what does that mean for um, uh, other entities? Uh, I'm going to get to the, I'm going to get to the other entities in a minute. I've been thinking about this on a application level um, a lot because I've been thinking about how cool it would be to like open up my Disney plus and there's a DC tab right next to Marvel and I could just pick and choose and watch whatever. Um, I was thinking about this on a, uh, um, application level in terms of like, I have the DC universe infinite app where I can sit and read comics on my phone. Well, there's also a Marvel unlimited app. Well, maybe there's going to be one app now. You know what I mean? Like I just, the idea of that just makes me wonder. It does open up the door for would the, if they did own both companies, would Disney start doing DC and Marvel crossovers more often? And then suddenly we have crossover movies, which I think would get very convoluted. No one would ever be happy because the fans would outrage because you didn't get a character right or they didn't get enough screen time or whatever. It, I think it could get very weird if that was the case. So if Disney's smart, if they do go through with this, they keep those companies separated. Um, I don't know. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that before I tell you the more interesting part of this? Well, so I've actually heard conflicting reports because what you're reading to me sounds it does sound like really legit and like this is something that really potentially could happen. But then I've also heard chat of like the idea that Disney either doesn't, even though it seems like they do, like maybe they don't have the, uh, you know, money or the facility to actually buy Warner and DC or that they, that there's certain antitrust laws that they would be violating and they wouldn't legally be able to do it. I honestly don't know how any of that works, so I really can't comment on that. The idea of DC and Marvel being under one roof like that, I personally hate it. Like, I don't think this is as convenient as it is and as cool as it would be to just open up Disney Plus and have DC and Marvel there. Like, I don't know. It's just really I think in the long term, I think this would actually be a very bad thing for the comic book industry as well as comic book movies. Like I think as much as like, I love the Marvel movies and as, as cool, as good as they are and as fun as they are, like I still want one of my favorite aspects of superhero movies is, you know, you can have, you can have Ant-Man, which is like a crazy heist comedy movie. And then you can have Venom, which is a crazy like sci-fi action horror movie. And like there's so much variety that you can put into the superhero genre. And I think 
putting like the big two superhero universes all under one roof, I think is going to slowly dilute that variety over the years. And in the long run, I think it's going to just make everything just a lot more samey for lack of a better term. So as interesting as this is, I'm just very weary of it overall. Um, So that's kind of where my thoughts are right now. Um, Me too. Incredibly weary. Um, And one of the things that, uh, so it would cost Disney $100 billion apparently to uh, own all of it. If they wanted to, uh, they would that is back. insane. They would earn it back pretty fast, but um, it'd be a hundred billion. Um, so that's that's twenty times, or tw- sorry, twenty five times oh, the I'm amount sorry. they paid for I'm Star sorry. Wars. <laughs> I'm sorry, I added a I added a number. It's ten billion. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's only okay. a, it's only a little over twice as much as they played yeah. paid for Star Wars, but still <laughs> ten billion. Read the fine print. Um, all right. Um, the, the interesting part about this is someone brought up the idea that, well, why doesn't Amazon look into this? Well, so we could argue. And one of the, one of the points I brought up when this came up was Amazon's not a Amazon's not in the entertainment game either. And you're going to go, well, what do you mean? They have their shows and they have their movies and they have their exclusive content. You got to remember that Amazon sells toilet paper and they sell computers and they sell books and they sell pens and they sell coffee makers and they sell random nonsense that we feel we need. Amazon has a television and movie division because why not? They don't need it. They made it because they felt they could and why not? They're drawing revenue and they're making cool stuff. Ultimately, they don't sell entertainment. So they have a TV division for the sake of having a TV division. So Amazon doesn't need to look at the sale, but it is a big merger, so maybe it's a good thing. However, I don't think I think Amazon officially dropped out of even considering buying Warner Media, and I'm going to tell you why. As of what day did this drop? Um, I think this was two days ago that I saw this. Yeah, two days ago that I this popped up in my feed. Amazon buys MGM Studios for eight point five billion dollars. Um. Amazon announced it's going to acquire the iconic MGM Studios, which is known for creating the James Bond films, Wizard of Oz, and the Korean franchise, as much more. Um, so Amazon just bought James Bond for $8.5 billion. Um, that's awesome, because that means we're probably going to be getting more uh, James Bond films under the Amazon uh, Jeff Bezos dollars umbrella. But if they're buying that for $8.5 billion, there's no way they're turning around and buying Warner Brothers. So... <laughs> Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to say with that news, Amazon's out. Um, But I look, this is this is crazy to think that in the wake of the Snyder Cut, AT&T is going to go, hey, we don't want any of this (laughs) Um, and sell everything or they're selling while they can, while the price is hot. You know what I mean? Um, So that's an interesting way to put it, because I was trying to figure out, like, why are they selling it? But, yeah, maybe you're right. Like, while the price is hot, like you got to sell it if you want to. Yeah, and I really don't know. So I kind of look at it as let's see what happens. I'm going to be following it really closely. So I will let you know as I learn things and I'll bring it up. But I will be following it really closely. So, um, yeah, let's see how this plays out. Um, I mean, they could turn around and decide not to sell it, but you never know. So, yeah, the the uh, I am really interested in hearing the further details as the story uh, unfurls. But what I'm really thinking is. 
the real gift we're going to get from all <laughs> from all of this is when somebody makes the sort of like Silicon Valley esque uh, streaming wars, either TV or, you know, TV show or movie where we get that sort of like Wolf of Wall Street sort of view at like, you know, what are all the inner workings of all these networks battling over shows and stuff like there's probably a lot of potential for just a original property keeping like that story in mind. So I look forward to seeing that, you know, in 10 years or so. <laughs> yeah, right. Um well, how about this, man? We have spent a lot longer than I thought of catching back up from uh, taking our break. So you want to talk about our list for the evening? Yeah, absolutely. That We had a ton of news to catch up on. But, yeah, we should uh, let's well, go to our list. And, and you should have seen what I and you should have seen what I took off the list tonight because of this. Like we had other news stories to discuss. And then this news about D.C. being sold. I was like, holy cow, this is going to put a stop to everything else. <laughs> because. <laughs> Because that's a huge one. And then we talked about uh, what we watched longer than I thought we were going to. So anyway, um, let's talk about our list tonight. Um, Ryan, it's list time. So do me a favor and roll the thing. And now for the top five. All right, Peter. So here's the thing. Uh, when we took our break, I said that we were going to do the list we were going to do was uh, movies based on true stories. A um, couple things on my list. Uh, I know I've mentioned in the past. I know at least one of them I've talked about. And two of them I've talked about in the past. Um, but yeah, so uh, true story movies or movies based on true stories. That is, um, I found it a little bit harder to put together this list than I thought I was going to. But um yeah, I don't know. Did you have anything to comment on the list well, before we talk about it? Or <laughs> I have more than I'd like to admit that are things we've already talked about. But I think it's just one of those things where there's certain movies we talk a lot about a lot. And a lot of times it's because they are our favorite movies. So when it, when it came to movies that were based on true stories, like as soon as you said that, there was three of them that immediately popped into my head. Um, and uh those are on my list, but it's it's just one of those things where I'm like, man, those three are, you know, things we already talked a lot about. So I actually might not have a ton to say about each of my picks, but I definitely think this is a cool category. And um, no, I think it's just movies based on true stories is always just it's really interesting from an educational perspective, but also looking at, you know, what did the movie get wrong and what did it get right? And uh, I think it's a really fun topic overall. Um, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of movies based on true stories are there's a ton of them that are kind of military based stories or sports based stories, which are both a little bit of a blind spot for me. So there might be, a, you know, some movies on your list that I actually I'm unfamiliar with, but uh, no, def- overall, it's just a really fun topic. No, so. You're familiar with everything I have on my list. And I thought about some of the military ones, too, but I actually um, don't have any military ones on my list. Which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I, as soon as you said that, I was like, hmm, should Saving Private Ryan be on here? You know what I mean? Like, I don't have any. I just think that's interesting. I don't have any. Now, is, is Saving Private Ryan historical fiction or is it actually a true? That's a good know, story that happened. Point. The, how about this? The opening like 20 minutes for sure is not. Just- <laughs> <laughs> well, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so but I hear what you're saying. Um, I only have one honorable mention. Uh, I have two <laughs> and they're yep. both honorable mentions because you'll understand. 
understand why, because they're both like ones I really wanted to include and I couldn't. So I can go with my first one. Um, Okay, so my first one and you're going to laugh, but I went with the fourth kind, which is the (laughs) semi documentary, semi horror movie starring Mila Jovich that uh, is about um, alien abductions in a small Alaska, a small isolated Alaskan Alaskan town. You know, this is one of those towns that's kind of in a valley in Alaska where there's no roads in and out. Like to get in and out of the city, you have to fly via small aircraft. So the reason and that's kind of what the movie gets into a little bit is there's a lot of alien abduction stories in this town. And the reason is because um, the the reason is uh, the reason the movie hints at at least is because they make it seem that because this area is so isolated, um, you know, the people can only spread word so far of, you know, these alien abductions that take place. But I think it's a really interesting film. I don't know if a lot of people like this film. I certainly did like it, though, because it's kind of uh, the whole it's like a regular movie, but. There's a lot of scenes um, surrounding the idea of this one woman who was abducted by aliens and then weird things that happened to her after that, whether that involves UFOs. Um, there's one scene where she actually levitates and stuff. But what's interesting about the movie is because they splice in real footage that was filmed in with the actual uh, story that they tell. So it's based on a true story. But when it comes to a scene where they actually recorded footage of it in real life, they splice in the actual woman um, and the actual footage that the events were taking place. And uh, it's just a it's a very interesting film from that aspect. The reason it can't make my list, even though I, I really do like this one a lot, is because a lot of people would really um, dispute the fact that it's based on a true story. <laughs> they would say, well, I think it's a hoax or whatever. So I just I knew because people could dispute it, I couldn't actually include it. So um, that's that's cool. I didn't know about the uh, real footage, if you will. Have, have you seen have you seen the fourth kind? I, I have not, but okay. I didn't know about the real footage. So. Um I own it so I could let you borrow it sometime. But yeah, it is really it's it's kind of jarring. But yeah, at certain points of the movie, you just switch from the actual movie to this actual to this like recorded footage of this actual woman that the events were taking place with. So it's a very, uh, very jarring, but kind of an interesting way to make a film. All right, cool. Um, Well, my uh, first honorable mention of the night is uh, Argo. Um, this is a fantastic movie. I've talked about it in the past. Um, it's basically like a CIA rescue, uh, uh, movie where they basically go in and rescue some hostages, but they do it in a really, really clever way. The movie is based on a true story. So, um, they, yeah, they probably took some liberties when they like did some of the, when they showed you some of the Hollywood parts of it. But, um, ultimately the, the, uh, all the, the rescue and all that stuff, that's all real. And it's just, it starts out really fun and exciting and you're just in it. Cause they kind of do it like a heist film, if you will. And then it kind of turns into this like very intense, like rescue sequence with these hostages. Um, really good movie. I don't have much, too much to say about it. Cause I've talked about it in the past, so we can move on, but yeah, no, no, I, I love Argo. Like this one's really awesome. I don't know what to add to it that you didn't except that, uh, 
you know, fans of our podcast, if you haven't seen Argo, definitely watch it because there's very strong um, Hollywood um, science fiction and even comic book ties in this movie. Um, there's actually an appearance of an actor who is portraying uh, Jack Kirby in the movie. And a lot of people don't realize that because they don't you know, they don't say his last name. They say that his name is Jack, but they don't say his last name on screen. Um, so it's kind of like a more more of one of those if you know, you know, sort of things. But the sort of Hollywood and comic book um, aspects of this movie, like I really find super interesting, especially that it's actually stuff that happened. So, uh, yeah, just keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, right. What's your <laughs> next general mention? Yeah. So my next one um, and this one. I, this is a really beautiful film and I love it so much and I wanted it to go on my list so bad. But, uh, the problem is the actual story of the film I'm pretty certain is fictional. And that is the movie loving Vincent. And, uh, this is a movie about a man who is, it's a, uh, a man who is a friend of, uh, Vincent van Gogh's family who is tasked with delivering Vincent van Gogh's Gogh's last letter to his brother after Van Gogh uh, passes away. And um, the the thing is, the main character of this movie, this man who's tasked with this, um, you know, with his mission of delivering this letter, he's based on a real person. And uh, nearly every single person in the movie is based on an actual person who existed in real life. But the story about him delivering the letter and... Uh, finding out that Van Gogh's brother is dead. And then um, after that, he ends up more so investigating the anomalies that surround Vincent Van Gogh's death. I think there's a lot of uh, artistic liberties that were taken there. And there's just a lot of, um, you know, they, they played it up a little bit. They kind of made this historical fiction involving real people and real events. Um, and it's, it's like I said, it's a beautiful film. This is an experimental animated film. Um, every shot of this movie is, or every frame of this movie is a oil painting. Um, so a separate oil painting for every single frame that they animated. And, um, most of it is painted in the style of Vincent van Gogh, but it's just a beautiful film. It's a treat to watch. Uh, you're going to learn a lot of really cool history. You're going to learn a lot about honestly, the, the anomalies behind, uh, van Gogh's death. And, you know, did van Gogh actually commit suicide? Was he, was he murdered? Uh, at this point we, it's hard to have a conclusive answer. And this movie explores all of that. But like I said, a lot of aspects of this movie are fiction, so I just couldn't put it on my, you know, actually on my list, even though I love it so much. Um, yeah, and I understand why you say you think it's fictional, but I totally understand how that could be considered based on a true story. So I get it. Um, <laughs> well, well, this is one that before I did the podcast, I was actually like researching it a lot to figure out what was this a true story? And it is one of those things where while nearly every character in the movie was a real person. It's not a, the way the events of the film go didn't actually happen. And I guess I was just being a little strict about how I composed my list. So, sure. okay. Um, um, it's my list. So we're kind of in this weird, like jumble where I should have gone first. Cause I only had the one. <laughs> but, uh, what's no, your first like, actual, what's your first actual pick that'll put us on track. My, my first actual one could go pretty quick because it's Argo. <laughs> oh, nice. So, 
<laughs> I love Argo. We've talked a ton about it on a podcast, but it's just a great movie. Like everybody should watch it. It's super fun. Um, the only thing that I don't like about the movie is at the end when they finally uh, get the hostages out of Iran and they're they got on the plane and they come back to America. I think that was probably dramatized quite a bit, but at the same time, it makes for a suspenseful ending. So you can only complain so much about that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, Argo is awesome. Nice. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with one that's like really easy for me to talk about because I've mentioned it before and that's the movie Miracle, um, which is the hockey movie where uh, the United States beat Russia in the Olympics uh, in 1980. Um, that movie's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I've, I mentioned it on uh, multiple episodes because we talked about it, like team sports movies and favorite sports movies in general and stuff. Um, but the movie's just, it's fantastic and it's got like, it nice and I you know I was born in 1980 so I didn't get to live it but I was around for it if you will <laughs> I was too young to remember uh, but it's such an it's such an amazing movie when you look at the stakes and how like important that event was um, but yeah so that's all I don't have much more to say about it because I've talked about it in the past um, but yeah Miracle it's just a fantastic uh, uh, hockey film so. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I like Miracle quite a bit. It's been a very long time since I've watched the movie, so I should probably give it a rewatch. But uh, no, this is just a really good sports film. Um, and uh, as far as like the political sort of, uh, you know, this was like U.S. versus the Russia or U.S. <laughs> U.S. versus the Russia. No, it was U.S. versus versus Russia during the Cold War um, in the Olympics. And there was a lot of sort of. Uh, uh, political weight that was put on that on this, uh, you know, on, on these sporting events. And uh, I didn't I guess when I saw the movie, I was pretty young, so I didn't realize it was such a big deal. And then after seeing the movie, I kind of learned worldwide just how much of an impact these hockey games had on the actual, you know, worldwide, like political landscape, which is really interesting. But uh, it's also just a really even with that sort of political undertone, like if you disregard that, the movie just feels very epic, you know, as a sports movie, it's very epic. Like I remember there's the part when, uh, the U S team is training for the Olympics and, uh, Kurt Russell is the coach and he's showing the team, the sort of, uh, black and white footage of the, uh, Soviet, uh, hockey team. And when you see that footage, it just has this sort of, uh, I think it's just because it's really old footage and it, it has this really gritty look and it just feels so I don't know why it was just the way it was presented. It felt so like almost like this. It had this, these like mythic proportions of like these are these amazing athletes we are going up against. And uh, it had that real like David versus Goliath feel. And I just thought it they really played up the epicness of this movie for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can't really. <laughs> <laughs> like all the stuff I've said in the past, I was like, all right, sweet. We're going to talk about Miracle more. Um, yeah, no, just everyone needs, everyone needs to see this movie. I'm pretty sure it's on Disney plus. Um, I have to check, but, um, it is a Disney film, um, or at least Disney put it together. So, and uh, I forget that I, I forgot that it was, it was a Disney film actually, but yeah, Disney, look, Disney makes amazing real, uh, true story sports movies. They really, really do. Like everyone that they touch is fantastic um like it like invincible with uh, mark Wahlberg. that was disney um that movie is amazing so 
anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, what's your next pick, man? Yeah, my next pick is a uh, movie I've talked about quite a bit in the past. So I'll keep it short. But uh, I went with Lords of Dogtown. Um, and this is a movie that um, I mean, I've mentioned it before. Um, I used to be like huge into skateboarding and extreme sports. And this movie tells kind of the history of skateboarding as we know it today. And uh, it tells it in a really cool way where it's just this really fun sort of movie that, uh, you know, takes you through the seventies and eighties and various subcultures that were going on, um, you know, in our past. And it's just a really, uh, it's a really cool movie. It's a really fun movie, but it's kind of just a really interesting side of history as well that, um, I think the majority of people don't pay attention to, but it's just a, it's just a really fun film. And I think, you know, everybody should definitely watch this one. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go on too long about it just cause I've talked so much about it before. <laughs> so, um, yeah. All right. Well, in that case, uh, Lords of Dogtown, I really like that movie too. So I, I hear you. Um, my next one I'm going to talk about is tombstone. Um, oh, nice. This is basically this is essentially the story of Wyatt Earp um, and uh, the uh, shootout at the OK Corral, which is probably one of the my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, but there's so many really good little scenes in the movie that you're just like, yeah, that's my favorite scene. And then you start talking about the movie with someone who's seen it. And you're like, no, wait, that's my favorite scene. And then you're like, no, wait, that's my favorite scene. Like there's so many good parts of this movie and they couldn't have cast it better. They really couldn't have. It's like a perfect cast. The movie's quite lengthy. Um, I always forget how long it is, but it's one of those movies that like when it's on and you start watching it, you just kind of keep watching it. So like the length doesn't really matter. It never feels like it's a long movie. Um, uh, but this, I mean, it's a Western, it's wider, but it's a shootout of the OK Corral, you know, him against the Cowboys and, you know, uh, being a U.S. Marshal and hunting them down and stuff. It's like Wild West, like awesomeness and true story or not. Like even if, even if this was fiction, like it's a true story, but it feels like fiction while you're watching it. It's just, it's just a fun ride, man. And it's, it's just fantastic. And it's one of those famous Westerns, too, that's uh, like earned kind of its like spot as like a classic Western film, which we don't really have a lot of Westerns anymore. Um, the closest thing we're getting to Westerns now is The Mandalorian. So, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, Tombstone is fantastic. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that's awesome. Tombstone is a great pick. Um, and I actually like what you said, where it never feels like a long movie. And it is one of those movies that. You know, you can catch part of it. You know, once you've seen it once, uh, if you see it on TV, you're just like, oh, badass tombstones on and you can watch half of it. You can watch a couple scenes, but it is one of those ones where you can jump in and out of. And it's just a really fun film, but it's also a really good film. And it's awesome that it's a part of this just really cool, iconic part of uh, history as well. So, yeah. All right, man. Um, what's your next oh, I before I go to my next pick, I also wanted to ask, are all of your picks uh, Kurt Russell movies? <laughs> that's well, Miracle and Tombstone. That's funny. I didn't even think about that. No, they're not. <laughs> it's just the order that they came in. I, that I, that just made that, me laugh to myself. That's a bit. funny. And no, they're not. But yeah, um, good catch. <laughs> uh, so my next pick, um, we've talked about a couple times before, but I went with the movie uh, Into the Wild, which is the true story of um, I wish I knew his name, but it's this guy who graduates college and decides okay. he doesn't want to actor or the real person. 
Well, I know it's Emil Hirsch as the actor, but I met the the real person. Um, but it's this guy who graduates college and he decides he doesn't want to join the corporate world and he kind of just goes off on his own and he lives in the wild, whether that be, you know, squatting and hitchhiking or, you know, trying to find to wrangle up a tent or just somewhere to stay. And he just kind of lives free and lives on the land. And it's just kind of about his exploits. And it's the reason why it's one of my favorite movies is it's it's not only just a fascinating story, but it's also just it makes you question your own reality and the choices you make and uh, anything like that, that just kind of makes you question, like, do I really need to live life the way I am with my nine to five job and mortgage and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, I, I think those are really interesting concepts. And I think people do, you know, I think people do need to keep an open mind about those things, regardless of whether they choose to live that lifestyle or not. You know, you know, it does. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I just think that it's uh, it's interesting that it makes you think about those things. And the story that this that this uh, person had to his life is very fascinating. And it's one of those things where I mean, total into the wild spoilers, but he his goal was to go and live off of the land in Alaska. And he ended up doing that. And that kind of uh, if he didn't do that, he'd probably still be alive today. <laughs> spoilers. But that was kind of yeah. the one mistake he, he made as he went into the Alaskan wilderness and it would which is a brutal landscape. But it's one of those things where you can look back on it and just like if he made a few different choices, different you know, he could still be thriving at what he was doing. But uh, no, this is just a it's just an interesting story. And uh, yeah, this is one where every couple of years I'll decide to watch Into the Wild again. And I always enjoy it every single time as much as the first time I saw it. So, yeah, this is just a great film. Uh, nice. Yeah, um, I haven't I actually haven't watched this movie in a really long time. Uh, I just remember I, I do remember really enjoying it. It got a lot of Oscar attention, too. Um, I don't think it won, but it got a lot of Oscar attention when it came out. Um, well, so my next pick for the night is Catch Me If You Can, um, which is DiCaprio and Tom Hanks um, about the guy who uh, he's he's the reason there's so many laws around checks and money. <laughs> Let's put it this way, how he scammed the uh how he scammed the uh, the banks to like, you know, and started counterfeiting checks and all that stuff. Um, and the FBI put a task force in there, to, you know, try and chase him down. But he kept changing his identity and moving from place to place. And it was a really like there's some really cool, like intense moments. And then there's these moments where you're like these serious, like, you know, uh, moments where you're kind of like you feel for him and you're just like, man, he's really got himself in a bind. But then he like gets himself out of it because he's got these he's just like. You know, he just kind of fakes. He just writes a check and goes to the bank and cashes it. But it's like a counterfeit check and no one catches it right away. And like suddenly they change the checks because they're like, this guy's working the system. And then what happens is, is because he's working the system, they change the checks. And then he, you know, alters his stuff. So he like makes the counterfeit even better and better. And then spoiler alert, he uh, then like after they catch him, he ends up working in the FBI um, to help them take down people like him. Um, it's just a. <laughs> It's look, it's a really cool movie, but it's a fun movie, too. Like, yeah. So I don't know if you have anything to say about it. It's Spielberg Spielberg directed. So it's awesome. But no, this is a great movie. It's been a really long time since I've seen this. So it's hard for me to say specifics, but uh, I really enjoy the sort of um, 
relationship for ba- lack of a better team. But bleh, I'm like stumbling over my words all over the place tonight. But the relationship between uh, Tom Hanks's character and Leonardo DiCaprio's, where Tom Hanks is an FBI agent, I want to say, or you know, some member of law enforcement that's uh, you know kind of on the chase with Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and they're sort of. Um, I guess vitriol towards each other, but also that sort of weird sense of respect as well. I always thought that was kind of a yeah. funny uh, aspect of the movie, but no, it's a really good one. Um, it's just, this is another one I just need to rewatch cause it's been a long time since I've watched it actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's one of those movies that I'd like to rewatch too, but I, when I was looking through the list, I was like, Oh my God, catch me if you can. is such an amazing, uh, episode. I mean, episode movie. <laughs> so yeah. Um, what's your next pick, man? So my next pick is another one. I'm sorry that the theme of my, of my list this week is movies. We've already talked a lot about, but I went with the movie American Splendor, which is the story of Harvey P. Carr, um, who is the author of the independent comic book series of the same name, American Splendor. Um, this is a movie that I don't even know where to begin with this one. This is a movie where when you sit down and watch it, you start watching it and you think you're going to start watching a depressing indie movie because that's what it feels like. Because even the first scene of the movie has uh, Harvey P. Carr is it because the, the comic book American Splendor is autobiographical. It's Harvey P. Carr writing about his daily life and kind of the things that he that annoy him and stuff. And the movie begins with Harvey P. Carr as a little kid going trick or treating. And then he gets pissed off because people won't give him candy because he's not dressed in the costume and he's just like being a curmudgeon about that. (laughs) And it's like a really sort of subtly and dry humorous scene. And you kind of see that and you expect like, okay, this is entertaining, but I think it's going to be one of those indie movies. That's kind of depressing and kind of boring, but still good. You know, I don't know if you know, like I feel like a lot of indie movies have that sort of, uh, feel to them. But the thing is, when you watch the movie, it's not that even though Harvey Picar, who later as an adult is portrayed by Paul Giamatti and uh, Paul Giamatti is amazing and hilarious in this movie. And he is such a curmudgeon and he's a very uh, glass half empty kind of person. The movie isn't depressing and it's not boring. Like it's just it deals with very day to day daily life sort of issues. But and it's very uh, even though the main character is very curmudgeonly, there's this sense of humor going through the whole thing. And the events of the movie don't play out super slow, like it's very engaging or as engaging as the story, I think, can be. And it's one of those things where I think the writing of this movie is very um, introspective and very um kind of open-ended where certain lines of dialogue you watch and you can, as the characters are delivering certain lines, um, it kind of resonates with you and it's kind of has this universal, um, relatability to it. In my opinion, um, there's this one scene that's a bit of monologue where Paul Giamatti is talking about how he looked up Harvey P in the phone book and, uh, there's that he's not the only Harvey P car. There's actually a number of Harvey P cars and he's coming to terms with realizing that he's not necessarily as unique as he thought he was. You know, there's 
many other people who might be much like him or much better or more, much more unique than him. And he's wrestling with that concept of maybe I'm not, you know, the sort of main character of the story. Maybe I am not the most unique person out there. And it's just, I, that monologue scene always sticks with me because it's very well written and it's very, it's kind of this really relatable sort of crisis the character is going. And every time I see that scene, it's just very profound. But uh, this movie just, I think it's really good. And I think everybody should watch it because it's like I said, it's not necessarily what you're going to expect it to be. And it's one of those movies because the writing is so good. Anytime I see it on, I watch it and I enjoy it every single time. Um, A couple other things that are just kind of interesting from a filmmaking aspect is the movie deals with because it's about the life of an independent comic creator. It deal. There's a lot of sort of hybrid scenes in the movie where you see um, animated like uh, independent uh, black and white comic book characters sort of interacting with people on the screen and stuff. And I think those aspects of the movie are really fun. Um, There's also a documentary aspect of the movie as well, because (laughs) spliced between the dramatizations, um, you know, delivered by Paul Giamatti and the other characters on film. uh, There's also sort of confessional scenes um, where they actually talk to the real people who are involved in the story. Um, and while, so while like the actual Harvey P is describing like what was going on in his life at any given moment, that's also intermingled with scenes of Paul Giamatti actually playing those scenes out, if that makes sense. And it's kind of just a really interesting way to uh, play this movie out. But when you see these real people and then these actors sort of uh, portraying portraying the scenes, it does it does give the movie a level of heart where it's just a subtle reminder that oh yeah, all these all these characters I've been watching are real people and they all have the same day to day struggles that you know I do as well and it's kind of uh, really cool in that ex- aspect. So um, yeah, American Splendor. I don't know what more to say about it. This yeah. is just one of my favorite films. <laughs> and because of what you said, I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair so enough. Sometimes, Sorry about that. Sometimes I think it's interesting that you and I will go on, like, we'll talk about something we really like, and we'll just go on and on about it. And it's like, yeah, well, the other person has nothing to add because you said it all. Yeah. Um, this is just this is just one of those channel stoppers for me where it's just anytime it's on, like, I just have to watch it. Like, I just love this sure. movie to death. So sure. All right. Well, so my next pick for the night is um the walk have you ever seen this movie no i actually i actually missed this one uh, i know about it though uh so this is about the guy who tightrope walked between the twin towers the world trade center in new york before uh unfortunately before 9 11 um and what was interesting about the movie is the movie came out after 9 11 and it's got this really weird so this thing about it where you know about what happened in 9-11 and now you're watching this movie that takes place in the 70s and it's all about the construction of the building. And there's this really weird like meta social commentary to it where they're pointing out that like it's like they, they take that they in the script, they point out that everyone thinks they're ugly looking buildings. And then by the end of the movie, there's this like majesticness to them. 
And then because it came out after 9-11, you start thinking about the events of 9-11. So it was almost like they didn't intend for that to happen, but it just happened on its own because of the beauty and the magnitude of what they were like getting across. Um, but the movie itself, like, I mean, that sounds kind of preachy and kind of political, but it's not at all. And you have to see the movie to understand what I mean when I say that. Um, but the movie is essentially a heist film. Or they shot it like a heist film because it's breaking the law by trying to, you know, walk between do the tightrope walk between the two towers. He didn't get permission to do it. He had to do it. You know, he had to kind of, you know, do it on incognito, if you will. So they had to sneak up to the top of the towers. They had to they had to, like, take pictures and, uh, you know, record. Uh, and it was like they have scenes of him going into the tower and like recording like security, the comings and goings of security and how to get up to certain floors and all that stuff. And it, it was really interesting to kind of like watch them piece it together. But before that, you go through a history of the guy's life and where he learned how to, you know, do tightrope walking and meet the love of his life and all this stuff. And this is my mission and I have to do this and all this stuff and then researching and how to do it. Um, it's such a fun movie. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays the guy um, and he he narrates. So he's like he stands on the top of the Statue of Liberty with uh, New York behind him and he's narrating um a several bits of the movie, like from the stop at the Statue of Liberty. And sometimes it's this voice narrating while you're watching. Um, but it's such a cool movie. And then when you get to the actual walk itself, and I'm going to say the movie itself is any movie you've ever seen in your entire life um, in terms of like a heist film. But when you get to the part where he actually does the walk up between the towers, see it on the biggest screen you can see because it is majestic in this like gorgeous, gorgeous way. Um, and I, I was riveted from the beginning to the end of this movie. It was just a such a, such an amazing movie. There is a documentary, like an actual documentary about this, um, which the documentary might be cool, but there's some cinematography work <laughs> at the end of the film. That's like, see it on an IMAX. If you can see it on like a 60, just biggest screen you can see for that ending sequence when he's actually doing the walk, because it's, it's actually it's not like it's a 20 second sequence where he's doing the walk. It's a really long time, but it's the way it's shown that biggest screen you can. <laughs> um, that's really all I got to say about it. The movie's fantastic. It's called The Walk. So that's awesome. Um, I like I said, I haven't seen this one. The heist aspects of the movie I actually didn't know about. So it kind of makes me want to watch this movie. Um, and actually that's, uh, you brought up the documentary, which is kind of one of the funnest parts of, uh, true story, uh, movies is when you, when there is a documentary about the same story and you can watch it and then compare it to the actual movie and then see where they got, where it went right and where it went wrong. And, uh, the only one on my list that has a documentary that I've watched is uh, Lords of Dogtown. Actually, there's uh, the documentary Dogtown and Z Boys, which is about the same story. And um, I really enjoyed that documentary, too, um, almost as much as the film. So, uh, no, that's just a cool aspect of the whole thing. So I'm actually brought I'm glad you brought that up. Um, but I guess I could move into my next yeah, pick man, unless you had more on the watch. It's your last pick of the night, man. So you got yeah, my last pick of the night is uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I went with the movie Zodiac. So this is the David Fincher movie about the Zodiac killer and um, a lot of the uh, people that were involved in investigating um, 
investigating that killer as well as the uh, victims, unfortunately. And uh, this is a movie where we all know about the Zodiac killer, um, kind of that serial killer and his legacy. But I really wasn't sure if a lot of the characters in the film were real people or if they were sort of fictionalized. So I actually had to do a little bit of research and uh, from what I've seen, most of it is actually spot on. Like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is the main character of the film who was a, uh, he was a political cartoonist who was working for a newspaper um, when the Zodiac, when the Zodiac killer was kind of in vogue and he uh, kind of, took on as almost like a part-time job, you know, investigating the Zodiac murders and trying to help out the police, um, sometimes to their chagrin, but trying to, uh, help solve, you know, who is this killer and stuff. Um, but he's actually based on a real person. And I thought that was really interesting. And, uh, I was actually watching this YouTube video all about the accuracies of this movie and how, you can look at the different uh, murder scenes in this movie where they show these people that the Zodiac killer murdered. And then you compare it to the actors that played them. And so many of the people are just like spot on, like look nearly identical to how they actually looked in real life. And uh, in that same YouTube video I was watching, they were also showing behind the scenes stuff where there's certain scenes of Zodiac where it'll be like the two main uh, cop characters who will be talking just, you know, just outside in an alleyway or next to a building. But this uh, this video is showing behind the scenes stuff where the building they were talking next to was actually CGI. And it's just something when you watch the movie, you don't realize. But David Fincher apparently put so much work into making this movie as accurate as possible because the Zodiac uh, murders took place. I don't know, late sixties, early seventies. I might be wrong, but this is, this is another movie that takes place through multiple decades and David Fincher Fincher through the sort of set work as well as the costuming and stuff. He put just so much effort into making it as accurate as possible. And since we're talking about true stories, like, I, I figured that would be a great thing to bring up. But uh, besides all that, this is, like I said, one of my favorite films. It's a movie because it's so mysterious as far as who the killer actually was and a lot of the sort of details. This is a movie that my mind wanders to multiple times. Like, I feel like once every couple of weeks, I'll think about the movie Zodiac <laughs> randomly like, oh, yeah, I wonder who actually is the killer and start thinking about different details of the movie. And I think it's just very, very interesting uh, from that standpoint as well. Uh, Drew, I don't know if you have any comments on this one, but that was my uh, last pick for the night. Zodiac is a heavy, heavy movie to watch, but it's absolutely amazing. It's that mastercraft of David Fincher. It's like like the screenplay's top notch, the acting's top notch. Um, the when you think about the idea of Zodiac Killer and how he got away with it and stuff, you're just like, yeah, why not? Like that's how you get away with something like that. And the fact that he's still like, it's a still essentially a cold case, if you will. Like, could he still be out there? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, it's absolutely crazy. Um, but the movie's amazing. Um, it is a hard sit, in my opinion, because if you're not. Like you have to, I feel like the subject like, matter, I feel like because of subject matter, it's a hard sit and you have to go in with the mindset of what you're going to watch on, um, you know, most David Fincher films, I don't feel are like that. Um, I feel like I have to be in the mood to watch this one. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah. like seven or fight club, I feel like have that as well. <laughs> Maybe, but I could sit down and watch seven and fight club. You're like, you're on a seven. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, let's watch it. Um, Zodiac for some reason, I always feel like it's got, I have to be in the mood to watch it. If you will. I don't know. That's just, so I'm, I'm a little bit of the opposite where I have to be in the mood to watch seven, even though I love that film as well. But for me, Zodiac's the one where I'm just always down to watch it. Um, but no, I understand where you're coming from, for sure. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, my last movie of the night um, is going to be Apollo 13. Nice. Uh, this movie, um, I've I've always been fascinated with space stuff. Um, this movie, God, it's so good. And this is one of those this is one of those true story movies that, you know, the story going in, um, you know, the outcome going in. And you're really along for the ride and presenting facts and you're just like blown away at how and why they did everything that they did. Um, But you're with them on the ground in the control room, you know, Houston dealing with the problem. You're with them in the spaceship the whole way through. And like they you you feel claustrophobic when you're up there in the spaceship with them, which is just mind blowing. Like just the way Ron Howard shot this movie and put together the story um, to honor this event uh in nasa history is just absolutely astounding it is a massive star-studded cast which is just everything about this movie is top-notch but i thought about it i was like this is definitely probably one of the best true story movies out there in terms of like um what we could be talking about tonight and that's why i had to make it the my final pick for the evening um i don't know if you have anything to add to it um this is i've just been fascinated with uh I'm just fascinated with space stuff in general. So this movie just speaks to me. And then, you know, when you there's a lot of other NASA movies that they could have made. But this is just a perfect one to go with because of the circumstances of the mission itself. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I really love this movie. It's great. Um, It didn't make my list just because of like just personal connections that I had with other movies, but this is one of the best uh, based on a true story movies. Like I think so for sure. Like it's just, it's just really great. And like you said, when they're up in space, you really feel like you're with the characters. Um, The way the movie that the way this movie is shot is actually pretty incredible. Um, The cinematography besides just making you feel like you're up there with them. Like there's a lot of, cinematic shots that are just really gorgeously shot. Like I know um, some of the shots actually leading up to the actual uh, shuttle launch really stick in my mind as just really beautiful pieces of film. Um, But yeah, it's it's hard to know what to say because you've kind of said a lot and this is one where the movie is just so good, but I love that uh, this movie has a huge cast, you know, Um, a lot of the actors, you know, Tom Hanks, Gary, Gary Sinise, like a lot of them are people that are really well known, but when you watch the movie, the actors do a really good job of, uh, you don't really necessarily see it as like, Oh, this is Tom Hanks. You actually see him as the astronaut that he is and stuff like that. And I, I really appreciate that from an acting sense, but this is, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I could leave it as just like, I don't know one person who doesn't like this movie. <laughs> like This movie is great. So it's kind of hard to know what other angles to look at. But I definitely think this is a, a really great pick. You know, what's interesting is you say that because I don't know anyone who can't say they don't like Apollo 13 either. But if you think about it, I don't know anyone who can say they don't like like any movie we talked about, I just don't think there's any like negatives you can say about them. Like they're all based on true stories. It's like you can say you didn't like the movie, but ultimately 
Like, <laughs> does that? No, make yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You're right. This is. Uh, I don't think it's a too divisive of a list. Besides, just people mad at you know while listening to the show, they might be mad that we didn't bring up this movie or that movie. But this is you know mine and yours personal favorite list um but yeah no you have a good point like most of our movies are pretty universally enjoyed i would say yeah um <laughs> peter what are we doing next week your pick okay so um we've we've been doing some weird lists lately and uh here's another weird one <laughs> so all right this is a list this is a list that uh i've been sitting at for a while but a couple weeks ago, you mentioned that we were in convention season, and uh, I knew that it was time to bring this list up. Supposed to um, be convention season, that is. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and we'll see as the year goes on if we'll have any real conventions or not. We'll see how that goes. But this is a list where I'm going to give you a scenario, and then your top five list is going to surround the, or you know, is going to fit in within this scenario. So. The scenario is you're going to a comic convention with a group of friends and you live, let's say, approximately 25 minutes from the convention and you are tasked with driving your friends to a convention or to this convention. So on the way, you need to pick the playlist that you're going to play in the car on the way to the convention. <laughs> so this is your top five convention going playlist that you're going to play on the drive and maybe a couple honorable mentions if there's time um, <laughs> and do with this what you will, because you could play, you know, your just regular radio songs. You could play soundtrack songs. You could throw in theme songs. Go crazy with this one. Do with it what you will. But I just thought this would be a fun one, a fun list to tackle in general. So essentially, this is the music that when you get into the car, uh, you're just like you're making a beer run for the party and someone's like, you want to go r run with me? Sure. Why not? And you get in the car and you make the you make the grocery run, the beer to, or the beer run or whatever. And someone's like, what do we listen to? Like, well, we got to put on some questing music and you put something on <laughs> um, Yeah, questing, questing music for sure. But yeah, it's it's you're going to the convention with your friends. You're trying to pump your friends up. So, you know, what songs are you going to play? Uh, wow. OK. Interesting. Um, all right. So that's what we're doing next week. Um, before we go, um, if I Peter, when you and I talking, I'm always looking through the news feeds to see if there's any last minute things we need. to <laughs> Right. I, I always do this. So this isn't one to laugh at, unfortunately. But this is oh, one OK. That, this is one that I had to bring up because it was like, whoa, because I was like, is there anything we missed that we should save for next week or talk about right now? And this one I feel like we should bring up right now. Um Story, uh, story creator, um, writer and illustrator, Eric Carl, who gave us the very hungry caterpillar oh, man. has passed away at the age of 91. Um, that's a big one. It's a huge one of the, uh, industry. Um, but it's a beloved, it's, he's such a beloved author. Um, he died, uh, May 23rd. So we're a little, but this is like breaking news now. So it's a couple days later, but, um, he was at his home in uh, Massachusetts. He was 91. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I just felt it was something we should bring up and, you know, this is a big bucket of win and, uh, that's, it's, it's a huge loss. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, grew up reading his books in grade school and he, uh, he did have a lot of just really iconic stories that stick with you, but he also his art style was very unique. Like most of his, uh, if I remember correct, he mostly dealt with like kind of like 
like the mediums he worked with was kind of like collage and maybe some painting, but he had a very unique because he did that sort of collage mixed media sort of illustration. He had a really unique style that I feel like it's one of those reference points where if you're uh, I don't know, I went to art school, so I think think of things through that lens. But it's one of those things where if you're critiquing a piece of art and you say, Oh, you know, this gives me an Eric Carl vibe. Like people just know it right away. But yeah. uh, no, that's, that's, uh, that's really sad to hear. Um, and, uh, I, I guess, I mean, I'm glad that he lived a long and full life, but it's, it's very, uh, very sad to hear. And he's another person where his influence and, uh, impact is definitely going to live on as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's a loss, but it's a, it's a good long life. So, um, rest in peace, if you will. Um, all right. You ready to close this out? Put another episode in the can? Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, everyone, do us a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with the link uh, link to our uh, email, top5report at gmail.com. Hit us up on the show in the email. Social media, either way works. We're on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Um, those places you can subscribe to us. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review, which we love those five stars, but it, we understand criticism because it makes us get better um, and it makes the words we say feel important. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be trying to figure out who let Smelly Cat get into the Mockalit. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, all right, everybody. Uh, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, restore the Snyderverse. See ya. See ya.